Good day, everyone. Um, welcome to 11 Minute Podcast with um, me, myself, as um, your host today, uh, Bart van Buchem. I'm a pain specialist physiotherapist. And today with me is Stephen Kemper from Sydney or University of uh, Sydney, uh, trained as a physiotherapist by background and um, um, recently, or not, you're a professor uh, in allied health applications. And we, we just had a brief talk about um, to summarize what your main your main work at the moment is about helping therapists to conduct research is that right steve um that's right yeah and it's a very brief summary um steve have, have done lots of work on adolescents and adults pain and generally neck and back pain if i'm right that's the most publications are from um up to what 170 papers or so so you've been you've been quite busy um i'm not sure if that's a marker of success but uh, uh <laughs> I, I i i've i've been enjoying uh reading your work because i think it's very relevant and it makes totally sense to me that there is this linking the evidence to the practice and there is a 2021 paper that sort of gives us a bit of a, a direction for today um i'm going to start the the 11 minutes so um and there we go so right steve welcome and thank you for joining yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me but cool um Let's just just run straight into it. Um, there is this paper linking evidence to practice. Um, I do feel like our listeners would be really interested to read it. I would recommend to have a go with it. But um, uh, what was your intention in the first place to publish this more specific? This I think it's a very position paper. If it's if I'm right, is it uh, the uh, so so the. Uh, evidence in practice series um, yep. that I write. Um, so we're up to, I think, 19 of them published so far. So, so the idea here is um, to take one aspect of uh, research methods or evidence in practice and just give a very uh, um, brief explanation of, of what it means for a clinician who might be re reading a research article. So um, I think there's a, um, there's a lot of clinicians out there who really want to be able to pick up research um, that's published out there, but sometimes feel like they don't quite understand all the methods and they don't quite know whether it's whether something they're reading, something they should believe or not believe or how much confidence they should have it in it. So my thought is, is, is to try and break down all the things that we understand as researchers that go into designing and writing a study and bite off little sections of that and explain them in, in, in just, you know, a thousand words, page and a half or something like that, one by one. Uh, so that that's the idea behind the series, that they'll become a sort of a, I guess, like a, a bit of a textbook of the, the different aspects of, of research to, to help uh, make what's written by researchers a little bit more accessible for clinicians. And is there, what, what are the biggest challenges you hear back from clinicians since you started this project? Um, so the, one of the things that I noticed as I started this uh, was oftentimes when clinicians think about what research is, they get very tied up on statistics and understanding what a p-value is and worrying about what logistic regression is and 
uh, and not understanding, um, you know, the different types of methods that, that might be used in the analysis. And uh, in, in my view, that's not the, that's not the first place to go. It's not what really people need to understand in order to use a piece of research uh, to help make them to help make clinical decisions. And so, yeah, I, I guess I wanted to take, I wanted to sort of strip back what research is about because I think it's actually most of the principles are pretty simple. I think if if we can package them up and present them the right way, then I'm hoping that's going to make the research a little bit more accessible and stop worrying about uh, p-values or, or you know what a definition is and all that sort of stuff and and, and start thinking about broader things like what what is bias um, thinking about you know why why is randomization important what is why does it matter what's what is confounding and and if we understand those principles then then the details will make sense and but I think research training has started with details and 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 people try to absorb and remember these details and they don't have the context for it. And, and I think that's one of the things which is making uh, research harder to access for clinicians. How do you, because I can relate to the idea of reading a paper and feel like, oh, this is, could be interesting. Then you're starting to read it as part of whether would it suits my practice or uh, what do I learn or what is my takeaway from this? So what did, did research or let's say authors, do they do they did a good job until now by, for example, explaining the biases and um, use, uh, explaining why the, the methodology is being as it is in the, in the research and how it's been set up. So, so do you think from an author's perspective, there are, limitations and things that should do become better okay so so the the let, let's let's be perfectly clear my view here is the main problem is the people writing the research i.e people like me so it is it is researchers it is it is a problem of the way that research is is uh presented yeah. um and it, it's and a part of those uh I think lack of competence and part of those are because of the way that the system is set up, the way that researchers are incentivized and, and, and the way that the business of, of research reporting happens. Fundamentally, research in scientific journals is written by researchers for other researchers. And, and, and that's at the heart of the issue. Yeah. Yeah. So, what would be what would be an example of a like a good paper that make that makes sense to a example clinician? of a good paper? Um, I'm not quite sure uh, how to answer. Well, let's that say on, on 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 bias, for example. Just take a uh, like you you mentioned a few. Um, commonalities like bias for example you should be aware mm. of the bias how how would a good paper what what should it describe and what should be All aware right. what i should be aware of uh, once i'm trying to find out what bias means in this paper okay the, the, the first the first thing uh 
and it's not just a marker of quality of the paper, but it's actually a marker of whether a paper is useful or not, um, is the clarity of the question. Okay, so as a reader, you should get to the end of the introduction and you should be able to say what the research question is in your own words to someone who is not even in your field. Okay, so that clarity is, is, is absolutely, um, it's vital. If as a reader you can't do that, if it if the if the, the question isn't that clear and, and that's straightforward, then there's very little chance that you're going to be able to interpret all the rest of it, the methods, the results, the discussion, anything else. Okay. So so if there's one thing that would to that that I would say that a, a paper needs to have, it's a really clear question. Yeah. Um, that, so, so from there, the methods have to line up with the question, and, and, and so that's where the the the, the bias and the, and the research methods and all that sort of stuff becomes important. Only becomes important once the question is clear. So maybe just to maybe it's a big jump from here, but what would make if if treatment seems to be successful in a presented in a paper, mm -hmm. what what would be your first advice to to check whether that is really the case so it's presented positive but mm -hmm. what is, is there um a, yeah a, um a range of questions you should consider yourself whether is this really as good as it is presented okay so uh the, the first thing to understand when you're talking about treatment effectiveness is that is always a comparative question okay so so the the, the question is a treatment effective? Is only only makes sense when you say compared to what? Okay, so yeah. so so that that what might be nothing, or what might be usual care, might be a placebo. It could be another treatment, but that's that's a key part of the question. So so as a reader, you have to understand. I'm asking the question: Is treatment A effective compared to something else? So that that's the first bit. Then, if 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 the if the study is set up such that it offers, um, you know, a difference in effectiveness or an outcome from those two groups, you need to ask yourself the question of was it a fair comparison? Okay, so essentially, were they the same types of people in group A and group B? Randomization is a really good way of doing it. It's not the only way of doing it. Okay, it's a really good way. It's probably better than any other way of doing it. Okay, so they're the, they're the fundamental questions. The next thing is the when we look at the results. So that's a difference in outcomes between the between the people in group A and group B. And what matters there is not p-values or statistical significance. It's how big the difference is. So that that's what you need to know about treatment effectiveness uh, studies, and all the other methods are just about getting uh, getting getting a really nice estimate of the difference between those two groups yeah fair enough yeah that's and and from there on so um, especially when treating pain we, we now we know that the the, the results and the, the the differences between pre and post treatment are usually quite small um how what is your what is your view on on that sense that when 
changes are small, but um, maybe are um, good enough for a go on therapy. All right, in 25 seconds. First of all, really, really, <laughs> really important distinction between changes over time within a group and changes and, and differences between groups. All right, so it's critical to, 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 to specify which of those you're talking about. Yeah. The second is about the size of a difference or the size of a change. And what matters there uh, depends on who you're asking. And as a researcher, it doesn't really matter what I think. As a clinician, probably doesn't matter that much what you think either. But who it matters to is the person who's being offered the choice, and that's typically the patient. And so that's a question for them. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. 100% agree on that one. So we filled up the 11 minutes. That, 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 <laughs> that time, <laughs> time flies. <laughs> yeah, that really happened really quickly. And I think we just touched on a few things that are really interesting. So thank you for our podcast listeners. Um, um, if you'd like to hear a bit more, you can go to the website and you can uh, see and listen to the extended version of this conversation where we probably go into changes over time and changes over groups. Um, okay and the relevance of that um, particularly part of research and, and translating to clinical work. So thank you for listening and hopefully see you next time.